Thrive Church Online. My name is Kathy, and I'm going to be your online host for today. If it's your first time here, you're VIP, so please let us know by texting you at 604-285-5770, and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. Parents, don't forget to go to mythrive.info slash thrivekits to access the Thrive Kids curriculum. So there you can find the worship video, the lesson video, a worksheet that you can download, print, and do with your kids. And there's new Zoom classes every Sunday from 1045 to 1115 a.m. We love a proactive church. So now that Halloween is officially over, my Michael Bublé Christmas album is officially coming back out and added to my Spotify playlist. So what is on your playlist? We love to see all your beautiful faces, so take a selfie of yourself tuning into today and post it on your social media account using the hashtag ThriveChurchOnline. Are you ready for today's message? I'm now going to pass the time over to Pastor JB, and I'll see you all later. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive, and I'm so excited to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you are our guest of honor. You are our VIP, and we especially want to welcome you. And just to thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday or whatever day you're watching the service, we just want to give you a special gift. It's your very own Thrive Church stainless steel water bottle that we want to send straight to your door. If you want to go to mythrive.info and touch that button that says new to thrive, or you can text the word new to 604-285-5770. We'd love to get in touch with you, love to connect with you, love to meet you face-to-face one day when we're meeting on site together one day down the road. But in the meantime, here at Thrive Church Online, a huge welcome to you. In fact, we've got a saying here at Thrive, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, we just welcome one another to church today, maybe in your chat rooms, would you welcome another? Maybe you're sitting beside someone right now. Would you give them an air high five, an air handshake, an air hug, or maybe a real hug if that's appropriate? And let's just say it's so great to see you here at church today. We told them that right now. So great to have each and every one of you here. If you're here and you're new to church and you're new to the Bible, you're new to faith, you're just kind of curious, we are especially glad that you came here. We hope that you find the Thrive Church is a safe place where you can just call it home. You can find some community, find friendship, find hope, find encouragement, uh, you know, have maybe some of your questions hopefully answered. In fact, we have a saying here at Thrive that is that here at Thrive Church, hope lives here. Turn to your neighbor and say, hope lives here. Hope lives here. The reason why we say hope lives here is because of Jesus. And the fact is that there's so many ways that we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. In uh, a few moments after the message, uh, after we sing, we're gonna do something together called communion. Communion is one of our favorite ways to celebrate the hope we have in Jesus. And that is this, you take a piece of bread and and we're gonna ask you to do this at home as well. Maybe you've already got it prepared, maybe you haven't already. I invite you to go to your kitchen and grab a piece of bread, maybe something like this, and grab a cup. 
We use grape juice here at Thrive. If you don't have grape juice, that's okay, but something to represent the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us. And this is just an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We're gonna be doing that toward the end of the service today. So I encourage you to get ready for that. That's one way that we love to celebrate the hope we have in Jesus. Another way is if you've recently, maybe in a recent service or at a small group, you received Jesus Christ, your savior, a huge congratulations to you. We wanna encourage you to take that next step called baptism. Everyone say baptism. Baptism is another way to celebrate the hope we have in Jesus. It's not saying, oh, look how good I am, or I've got no more questions, or I've graduated from Christianity. No, you know, baptism is not a graduation. It is a beginning. And it's something that Jesus asks us to do to remember what he has done for us. It's a way to honor him. It's a way for us to simply say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who needs a savior, and I believe his name is Jesus. And so if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, he's alive today, if you've received Jesus into your life, but you've never taken that step of getting baptized, I strongly encourage you to take that next step. It'll be one of the happiest moments of your life. I encourage you to do so. And here in this COVID-19 season, we'd be very happy to arrange a private baptism ceremony for you. We've done stuff at the beach. We've done you know, baptisms in pools. If you want to do it indoors with the weather getting colder, we'd love to do that with you as well. You can go to mythought.info and press the button baptism for more information on baptism and to sign up for that as well. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's the year of contagious hope. Tell them right now. It's the year of contagious hope. We've been saying that a lot here at Thrive Church these days, contagious hope, because here at Thrive, we don't want to spread and infect people with COVID-19, but what we do want to do is spread and infect people with something called hope. And with that in mind, you guys over the past month have been doing something amazing, is that to spread contagious hope, not just to people in our city, but all around the world, we've been doing a project called Bibles for Kenya. And over the past month, we've been encouraging those of you who feel led to give, to give toward this project, because what we're doing we're partnering with Pastor Simon Odiambo and his church in Kenya to bring as many Bibles as we can to people in some of the poorest places in Kenya. Pastor Simon Odiambo and his team, they've been going to some of the poorest villages in Kenya to share about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And many of these people don't have access to internet. They don't have Bibles themselves. We want to provide them with their own Bible because we believe the Bible is the most life-changing, hope-giving book in the world. And so we challenge you as a church to say, by today, November 1st, we want to raise enough funds to send 500 Bibles to 500 new believers in Kenya. And I'm here to report to you the final results of our project. You guys are an amazing church. You guys are a generous church. And once again, you guys went above and beyond. Not only did we raise enough money to send 500 Bibles to Kenya, to new believers there, we raised enough money to send over 800 Bibles to people in Kenya. Let's give God a big hand, a big shout for that right now. Give yourselves a hand as well. So proud of you guys. So proud of you, Thrive Church. You guys are a generous, amazing church. And here's believing that God is going to use your generosity to bring hope to many, many people who don't have access to the hope that we have in God's word. And so a big, big thank you to each and every one of you. Isn't that great news? Oh, that's great news. In fact, let me show you some pictures right now of some of the people in Canada receiving the Bibles that you have made possible for them to have. Look at that. This is Pastor Simon Odiambo and his team giving uh, you know, these Bibles to individual people that they've led to Jesus. And uh, this is, these are the, the Bibles that you guys have sponsored so that they can have access to the Word of God. Amazing. Praise God for that. Thank you guys so much for your generosity. In fact, we've got a special video from Pastor Simon Odiambo to all of us here at Thrive. Let's check that out right now. Greetings, this is Pastor Simon of Word of Life Harvest Ministry. 
and uh, it's a great uh, day that uh, uh, we thank the Lord for what he's doing. I just want to say uh, uh, thank you so much, uh, Thrive Church. Thank you so much, Pastor J.B. Lim, together with uh, your team. Thank you so much, Sister Charissa. Uh, it's a blessing receiving the Bibles. Thank you so much because uh, of the hearts, each and every person who made a step to uh, contribute towards this, may God richly bless you. Because indeed you are going to touch several lives, several lives of people who are really needy, who have been really yearning to receive the Bibles. They've received Christ, yes, but uh, they are not capable of obtaining a Bible. So your contribution has made a very big step. And uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for this because uh, as uh, we are doing today and tomorrow will be, uh, as we continue the evangelism, we'll be also reaching those who had received Christ. We'll welcome them to church. And uh, on Sunday, we'll be issuing the Bibles to them. And I'll be sharing with you pictures while we are doing this. So I just want to say a very big thank you. May God really Isn't that fantastic? Praise God. Let's give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Turn your neighbor and say, let's keep on spreading hope. Let's keep on spreading hope. Praise God. Speaking of hope, it's time to get into the message right now. And I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, maybe you can uh, you know, borrow the, uh, the, the Bible of the neighbor sitting beside you, or you can use the, the, the little tool or app that's uh, on, our, on our live stream there. But you can grab your Bible right now, and we're going to say this together. Is this a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message? Let's say this in faith together right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called Happier You. And we are so excited about the series. I think it's one of the best series we've ever done here at Thrive Church. And this series called Happier You, it's talking about learning the secrets to a happier you. COVID-19, this season has been a tough time for many people. And we want to bring the series to you as a way to help you find hope and help you to find ways that you can be happier. Not to say that if you're going through depression right now, or you're grieving the loss of someone you love, you're getting up from a fall, you're just going through a generally tough season that somehow the series is going to you know, make you go from wherever you're at right now to just happy, happy, joyful, joyful all the time. That's, that's not what we're saying. But we're saying that through this series, if you will take to heart and apply the lessons that we're sharing in this series called Happier You, that it'll help you learn to be happier. It's because we believe that happiness is not simply a feeling that's out of your control, but it is actually the product of our habits. It's something that we can learn to get better at. That happiness is not simply a trait that you have or have not, that you're born with or without, but it's something that we can learn to get better at over time. If you believe that, say amen. And so I hope you've really enjoyed the series. If you've missed any portion of the series so far, then I encourage you to go to our podcast, go to social media. We've got the, the, the previous episodes of the series waiting there for you to benefit from. Today is episode four of our Happier You series, and I'm so incredibly excited to introduce to you the person who's going to be bringing episode four to us today. I was thinking about how best to introduce this very special person, which whom you know extremely well. Uh, the fact is, I was sharing last week and talking about episode three, talking about taking ownership of our happiness, that we need to know what our happiest moments are, and I was sharing with you some of my happiest moments, and when I was thinking about my happiest moments, I was thinking about this person, the fact is that so many of these happiest moments in my life wouldn't have been possible without her. 
Uh, and the fact is that she's a huge reason why those are some of the happiest moments of my life. And not only is Pastor Shar a huge reason why I am the luckiest guy in the world, but not just that, you and I, we are extremely lucky because we wouldn't have Thrive Church without her. And every time she comes to bring the word of God to us, we are always incredibly blessed. You're gonna be so blessed by the message that she has to share with us today as part of episode four of Happier You. Would you please give the beautiful, the brilliant, the one, the only, Pastor Charlene, a big hand as she brings the message to us today. Let's give her a big hand right now. Let's welcome her today. Praise God. Good morning, Thrive Church. It gives me such great joy to be here and to share today's message with you. You know, over the past several weeks, we've been doing a series here at Thrive called Happier You, learning the secrets to a happier you. And, you know, Pastor JB has shared with us three secrets. Key number one is to give thanks in all circumstance. Key number two is to be present in the moment. And key number three is to take ownership of your happiness. And I'm here today to share with you key number four. But you know, before I tell you the title to today's message, I'm gonna share a story with you. You see, when I was in fourth year university, I was, uh, I was interviewing and I was applying and I was lucky enough to get a job as a financial analyst at an investment bank in New York. And it was one of those jobs that I really wanted and a lot of people who are newly grads really wanted because it paid well and it was supposed to be a job that led to a lot of doors and lots of opportunities in the future. And uh, so I remember when I received this job offer, I was so excited and there was nothing, there was nothing that was going to stop me from going to New York. And I remember at first I was so happy, you know, I was living in New York with three of my best friends in a penthouse unit in downtown city, you know, downtown New York across from this New York Stock Exchange. And we were just so excited because we felt like this was living the dream life. But after several months, I started to realize that this job was extremely grueling in terms of the kind of hours that was required. You see, I was working probably from 9 a.m. to about 10 p.m. on a regular basis. And um, sometimes I would, like, I would work later into the night. I've actually slept over in the office before, and my weekends were often spent doing overtime. And the part that was really, really hard and really frustrating for me was just how I would get called into work at the worst possible time. You see, I remember there was one weekend when Pastor JB came to visit me in New York, and he was coming all the way from Vancouver, and we had a whole Saturday planned out. You know, we were, we're, we're going to get up, and then we're going to go to the Rockefeller Center. We're going to go see the Empire State Building. We're going to walk around Central Park, and then we're going to eat dinner at my favorite restaurant only for all of those plans to be interrupted by a phone call that I received on Saturday morning saying that I need to get to work because there's a project that's due on Monday morning. And I was so, so disappointed and so frustrated. Needless to say, I ended up spending you know, that entire weekend working while Pastor JB toured the city of New York by himself. And I just really started to dread being called into work and really actually not liking my job because of it. And you know, maybe like me, you associate being called to work as being a very negative thing. And it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where your plans are interrupted, you have no choice but to drop everything that you, that you want to do and to go into work and because you're forced to do it. And if that's how you feel, then you're definitely not alone. But today, I'm here to tell you that through this message, when you see work from a perspective of a calling, 
that when you do that, it's actually not a negative thing, but it actually brings purpose, it brings happiness, it brings joy into your work that you didn't have before. And that's why today's message is actually called, I got called into work. And and I want to take this phrase, which is so often said as a negative thing, as a negative complaint, and turn it into a positive statement about God's calling and purpose for your life, specifically as it relates to work. With that in mind, I'm going to share with you key number four to being a happier you. It's embrace your work as a calling. You know, a, psychology, a psychologist at Yale University, her name is Amy Renewski. She once did a study on the relationship between just how we view our work and how happy we are. And after many years and hundreds of interviews with workers from every conceivable profession that you could possibly imagine, what she found was that employees have one of three work orientations, or mindsets, in other words, of work. What she discovered is that a person can either view work as a job, or view it as a career, or view it as a calling. And through her research, this is what she found. She found that the first group of people who view their work as a job, they were the least happy on the happiness scale because they saw their work as a chore, they saw it as a duty, and they saw it as something that they just had to do in order to make men's meet. And uh, the second group, the second group of people, they were the ones who saw their work as a career. And they were actually slightly happier on the happiness scale because they worked not only out of necessity, but also to advance through promotions and succeed. And that gave them, I guess, some happiness. But this is the really interesting thing that she found. She found that the third group of people who viewed their work as a calling were the happiest on the happiness scale. She found that this group of people were not motivated by external rewards like raises, bonus, and you know, promotions, but they actually worked because they felt that their work contributed to a greater good and it gave them meaning and purpose. And they felt that their work actually meant something to someone. And in fact, what she found, which is kind of bizarre with this third group of people, is that they often worked harder and longer hours than all the other groups because they just found their job so satisfying and rewarding in and of itself. And because of this, they were also more likely to get ahead and get promoted. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's interesting because if, because if you want to be happier in your life, then I think the key is that we need to learn to see our job as a calling. And maybe some of you here are thinking, no, 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 Pastor Shar, you don't understand. You don't understand how terrible my job is. You don't understand. I hate my job. And it is the worst job in the world. And you cannot possibly be telling me that that is the job that I'm called to for the rest of my life. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you should never change jobs. I'm not saying that you will never experience setbacks, that you will never be frustrated in your jobs. And I'm not denying the fact that, you know, that sometimes from time to time we're gonna, we're, we're, we're gonna really dislike our job and that we wanna leave our job. But what I am here to tell you is that how happy you are in your job has less to do with the job that you actually do, with a profession that you are in. It has less to do with the title that you have, the responsibilities that you have, how much you make, or how successful you are. The thing is, it has everything to do with how you view your job and why you do the work that you do. 
And I'm here to give you some, I'm, not, I'm actually not here to give you some tips on positive psychology. You know, let me just think, like, think differently about the way that I, that I do work and, uh, and you know, everything is going to be perfect. I'm not here to tell you that because if it was really all dependent on us, we're never going to get anywhere. But here's the thing. The thing is that God, he's actually deeply concerned about your work. He's concerned about what you do for work. He's concerned about how happy you are at work. And he is really concerned because work is actually part of a great plan, part of his great plan for you and for me. And he really wants you to be happy. And some of you might think that, you know, work is actually a punishment from God. And it's really not. You see, it's true that in Genesis 3, that after sin entered the world, God cursed the ground and kicked the people out of the Garden of Eden and said, now you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brows. Yes, that's true. But even before sin entered the world, God had work for Adam and Eve to do. See, in Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. What does this verse tell us? It's basically telling us that the result of sin is not work. The result of sin is that work is harder, it's more difficult, it's more disappointing, it's more demeaning, but these are the things that are brought on by sin. It's that work is painful, but the fact is that the Bible says God works, and God created work for us, and God actually himself is at work all the time. You see, in the Bible, it says, John 5, 17, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. God is constantly working. It's not a sin to work. In fact, the reason we work is because we're made in God's image. Then the, there's a need for us to work, and it's just part of the way that God wired us. Tim Keller, he says this. He says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It's not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You know, whether you like your work or not, work is part of God's greatest gift to you and to me. And we need to work in order to be emotionally, spiritually, and physically healthy. But you know, but if today, maybe you're in a place where you're not enjoying your work, and you're like, I really hate my work. Well, I'm here to tell you through this message that we need to begin to see our work as a calling. You see, what is a calling? A calling, your calling is the strong conviction in your heart that tells you that what you do matters and makes a difference in this world. I'm going to say that again. See, your calling is the strong conviction in your heart that tells you that what you do matters and makes a difference in this world. You can be a doctor and make a lot of money, but you still see your work as a job and as a way to make a living. Or you can be a janitor and you're scrubbing the floor and you can see that as a calling in your life. In fact, the research that I cited earlier from Yale University, it showed that how happy people are actually has so little to do with what profession they're in. It has everything to do with how they view their work. The happiest people were those who saw their work as a calling. They were the ones who had a strong conviction in their heart, which told them that what I do matter and what I do makes a difference in this world. Happiness is not the attainment of pleasure. It's the fulfillment of purpose. 
You know, John 4.34, it says, my food, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What is this food that Jesus is referring to? He's talking about food that satisfies our spiritual whole. It's that spiritual hunger. You see, every single one of us, we are all spiritual beings, and we all have a hole inside of our heart that only God can fill. We can try to fill it with power. We can try to fill it with money. We can try to fill it with, you know, success. We can, we can try to fill it with pleasure and prestige from this world. But the fact is that we will never be satisfied unless we fill it with God's purpose for our life. And if you want to find true happiness in your work, you need to get the sense of divine calling deeply embedded in your heart and mind. Because there's no greater meaning, like there's no greater meaning, goal, or vision that we can possibly have than doing what God has called and equipped us to do. So the question is, how? You know, how can we take the job that right now that maybe you sometimes feel like it's such a duty, it's such a drag, it's such a chore, and turn it into something where you have a sense of divine calling for as long as you do that job. Today, I want to share with you five ways that you can do that. Number one, the first way that you can turn what seems like a boring and routine job into a divine calling is to see your work as an opportunity to worship. You know, I want to show you something so interesting that I discovered in the Bible. Did you know that the Hebrew word used for, for work, which is avodah, as in manual labor work, like work in the farm, work in agriculture, like, you know, hard labor with your hands type of work, is actually the same word for worshiping God? Let me show you. You see, in Exodus 34, 21, when God was renewing his covenant with Moses, he said, six days you shall labor. Avodah, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Let me show you another example. Psalm 104:23 says, "The man goes out to his work, Avodah, to his labor until evening." Evening. In both of these examples, it's clear that Avodah is referring to work. It's referring to working with your hands and manual labor out in the field type of work, right? The same Hebrew word, avodah, is actually used in other places in the Bible to mean worship. See, in Exodus 8.1, it says, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship avodah, me. Joshua 24.15, it says, But as for me and my household, we will serve avodah, the Lord. It's just so fascinating to me that the word used for working in the field, hard manual labor, it is the exact same word used for worshiping God in the Bible. And what does this mean for us? See, it means that in God's mind, work and worship were always meant to go hand in hand. It's always God. It's God's intention for us to work and worship at the same time. It's not that you go to work on Monday to Friday, and then you go to church on Sunday to worship God. It's that work and worship are supposed to happen at the same time every single day, every single moment of your day. And so instead of thinking of worship and work as two separate things, which you do, you need to start thinking of your work as your worship unto God. You know, one of my favorite Christian authors, Ken Costa, he says this. He says, your workstation is your worship station. In other words, where you work is also where you worship. 
And when you start to see work as a place of worship, you're going to experience the power of God at work in your life, changing even just the most routine, the most mundane job into something with a divine purpose. And you might be asking, how? Like, how do we worship at work? I mean, are we supposed to turn on, like, Christian music and blast it all the time? Or is it that we start breaking out in hallelujah chorus in the middle of a meeting? You know, you, you could do that. You could do all of that, but you just risk, you know, looking pretty silly. And, and so how exactly do we worship at work? You know, let me show you how. This is how I would define worship. Worship is the giving of all that we are and all that we do to God with humility and adoration. And I want to illustrate that to you with an example. You know, this past week, I, there was one day when I felt like my stress level was really high because I wasn't sure how I was going to make a deadline that I was supposed to meet. And my stress level was getting to a point, it was so high that I couldn't even think straight. I couldn't even type straight. And I, and I just didn't really know what to do. And so do you know what I decided to do? I actually decided to just take some time to unplug from my computer and worship. And what I did, and this is something that I often do, is that I, that I just put you know, my headphones on and I started listen to, listening to just some Christian music. And as I'm listening, and as I'm praying, and I'm just saying, God, you know, I surrender this to you. I don't know what to do. I feel really stressed. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able, be able to make the deadline, but I just surrender this time to you. And as I continue to worship, as I continue to pray, it was probably about 20 minutes. All of a sudden, like, gradually, there's just this deep calmness in my heart that entered and there was this peace that just surpasses understanding that just rested and started to overflow in my heart. And at the end of that 20 minutes, the amazing thing was that I was able to regain that strength and regain that confidence to keep going in what I was doing and to finish my work on time. You know, maybe like me, you use music. You use music as a way to enter into worship. But let me tell you something. Worship is actually not just confined to music. In fact, worship can look like this. Worship is you walking to work and praying and saying, God, I commit this day to you. Worship is you at a coffee break and saying, you know, Lord, thank you for everything. Thank you for everything today. You know, worship is you saying, God, I don't know what to do and I need your help right now at work. Worship is saying, God, help me to love that annoying coworker who can't stop talking. And all of those things are considered worship. You don't need music to worship, and it can happen at any time and at any place. See, worship is simply giving yourself your worries, your concerns, your thanksgiving, your annoyances, everything to God and saying, God, fill me. I acknowledge your presence right now, right here. And it is the most powerful thing that you can possibly do at work. You see, it's in worship that Jesus turned water into wine. It's in worship that your anxieties and your worries are going to melt away. It's in worship that changing a diaper becomes a privilege and a joy. You know, it's in worship where you're going to find that strength to deal with that difficult boss. And it's in worship where you're going to uncover God's divine calling on your life and feel that sense of purpose. And here's my question for you. How can your work be worship unto God? Point number two. You know, the second way that you can turn your work into a divine calling is by seeing your work as an opportunity to grow in your character. 
There are generally a few reasons why people work. I mean, the number one reason, and I think it applies to almost everyone, is that we need work in order to survive. We need work to stay alive, and we need work to, fill, to feed ourselves. It's out of necessity. There's another you know, group who work because they're just really passionate about work. But even more important, I believe, than working out of necessity or working out of a passion, I'm here to tell you that actually the most important reason why you and I work is because we need to grow in our character. Thousands of years ago, King Solomon, he asked this question in Ecclesiastes. He says, what do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? And if I had to translate that into modern language, Solomon is really saying, what on earth, what the heck, why, what is the point of all this hard work that we do? What is the benefit? And do you know what the answer is? The answer is character. You work because you need to grow in your character. I work because I need to grow in my character. And it's because character is one of the few things, one of the only things yeah, you are going to be taking to heaven with you along with the people that you lead to Jesus. You're not going to take your money. You're not going to take your paycheck. You're not going to take your job. You're not going to take um, your job title. You're not going to take your house to heaven. In fact, you're not even going to take your body to heaven. But what you will take to heaven is your character. And God is testing you during your time on earth and your faithfulness through your work, through the way that you work, to see if he can trust you with his heavenly wealth for the rest of your life, for eternity. Luke 16, 10 to 12, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, God wants you, God wants me, God wants all of us to become people that he can trust with heavenly wealth. And it really doesn't matter what job you do. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what title you have. He can grow your character in any job and in any place. And the reason is because he is not so concerned about the job that you do. He's more concerned about the person that you are becoming. And one of the ways that he trains you to become that person is by growing your character while you're here on earth. And let me tell you a few ways. You know, have you ever had a problem at work that you just didn't know how to solve and felt like giving up? Or have you been tempted to take a shortcut in something that you're doing? You know, that is God using problems at work to grow your resilience, to grow your faithfulness, to grow your integrity, right? Or let me give you another example. Have you ever been in a job where you didn't think you were capable of and you just didn't feel competent to do the job and yet you still had to meet the deadline? That is actually God using pressure at work to grow your responsibility and your courage. Or people. I mean, we deal with all kinds of people at work, right? Have you ever had a boss who is just driving you crazy or a coworker who can't stop complaining or someone who keeps trying to put you down? That is God using people at your work to teach you how to love. All of those things is God working on your character development through your work. You see, Romans 5.3, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, 
character, hope. Each time you face pressure, each time you face a problem, each time you deal with difficult people, what you're doing is that you are growing in your perseverance. You are growing in your patience. You're growing in your ability to love, and you are growing in character. You're growing in hope, exactly as what Romans 5.3 is saying. And each time you work hard at meeting that deadline, overcoming that problem, and loving that difficult person, you are shining. Every time you overcome those things, you are shining in God's eyes. You are shining in your character. And so the next time you wonder about why you're working as hard as you are, why you're doing the job that you are doing, why you are working with such crazy people, know that it's because God is preparing you for something so much greater than what you can see right now. He's preparing you to inherit heavenly wealth and he wants to be able to trust you with it. And so if you're sitting next to someone or you're in the chat room, this is what I want you to write. I want you to write, God wants to grow your character so he can trust you. Point number three. Point number three. The third way. The third way that you can turn your job into a divine calling is to see your work as an opportunity to use your talents. You know, each and every one of us is made with a unique shape. What is our shape? See, our shape is a unique set of spiritual gifts. It's our heart. It's our abilities. It's our personality. It's our experiences that make up who we are. And some of us are really good at numbers, and, some, and others are really good with words. Some of us are really good at cooking, while others are probably better off as tasters, right? And some of us are really good at um, music, while, some, while others are probably better with athletics. That's called our unique shape. And it's when each and every one of us has a different set of skills and talents which are given to us by God. And my shape is going to look very different from your shape, and your shape is going to look very different from the shape of the person next to you. In fact, there is no one person in this world who has the exact same shape. And it's because God created each and every one of us unique. And the reason he did that is because he wants each and every one of us to fulfill a different purpose on earth. And all, one of our greatest callings in life to, is to express our God-given shape and give him glory in whatever it is that we do. You know, throughout my life, I've had several different jobs. Uh, you know, some paid, some unpaid. I've been a financial analyst. I've been a marketing exec. I'm a wife. I'm a pastor. And I am a mom. But there's actually no job that compares with my newest job addition. And do you know what that is? It's to be a grade three teacher to my eight-year-old son. You see, in this time of uncertainty, um, Pastor JB and I decided this year that we would actually homeschool our son, Bradley. And uh, it's quite funny, too, because we actually have a name for our school, and it's called Mama School. And uh, over the past two months to kick off Mama School, Bradley and I have been preparing for an assessment called the SSATs. It's a, it's, you know, it consists of some English, some math questions, and it's basically um, something that his school required for him to take, I think probably to make sure that he's not going to fall behind in Mama School. And so here I am, I'm embracing my new God-given job as the principal, as a teacher to my one and only student in mama school. And in my mind, I thought this should be really quite simple. I mean, I just, you know, assign some work and get him to do it and I mark it and that's it, right? Pretty simple. Until I started looking at some of the questions that he was expected to do on this SSAT. See, 
Not only was he expected to know some pretty advanced math topics for his age, the English portion consisted of like vocab,、um, you know, there was analogies, there was reading comprehension, and there was writing. And whoever wrote the SSAT questions, like they must think that eight-year-olds do nothing but study because some of these questions were not that easy at all. And so to tackle this exam, Bradley and I, you know, we worked really hard. And Bradley would do work during the day, and I would actually start doing my work after he goes to bed. And it's because、um, this is what I realized: I realized that I actually can't teach him anything that I don't know. And so every night I would pull out his SSAT books, and I would start going through the questions. And I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for ways to decode, like how, like how exactly there must be a strategy, there must be a pattern to these multiple choice answers. And you know, I started looking at process of elimination so that I can explain it to Bradley the next day. And in fact, I don't even think, like, I don't know the last time I I worked this hard. Like, I don't know the last time I studied this hard. And I don't even think I studied this hard for my own SAT test back in high school. And praise God, last Friday, Bradley took his exam. We were so happy that the day has finally come. And you know, as Bradley was writing this exam, I had a chance to just pray, and I had a chance to just reflect back on the past two months of us studying together. And there were definitely days when we felt like giving up, and there were days. You know where we were just like, oh, this is this is a lot, and both of us were just like, oh, we don't want to do this anymore. But the fact is, I was just so proud of Bradley, and I was telling God, God, it doesn't even really matter what mark he gets. I'm so proud of how hard he worked. And as I was praying and saying that to God, I heard this still small voice in my heart that said, "Well done, Shar." And、uh, you know, it's funny because. I actually didn't think I did very much.、Um, the, the, the only thing that I did was, I just did what I was supposed to do. I took what the job that God had given me, and I basically prepared for it to the best of my ability, and I helped my son prepare for an exam. I just really didn't think that I did very much. Yet, even in something as small as this, you know, it really was affirming for me to know that God knew, God knew how hard we tried, and that He was pleased with how hard we tried. And on that day, I felt like my heart was so full. You know, my heart was full because I knew that what I did mattered, even though it was really small. I knew that it mattered to God, and that what I did、um, was something where God acknowledged my faithfulness. And, and my heart was full because I love my job as a mom. It was so full because I felt like it was such an honor and such a privilege to be. Mommy to two little boys called Caleb and Bradley in my life. I've had so many jobs in my life, but being a mom has by far been the most challenging job I've ever had. No pay, no vacation, no sick days, and no manual. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, when I embrace my job, whatever job it is, big or small, it and 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 I embrace it as God's greatest calling on my life. My heart is absolutely. And to me, these past two months was just a reminder of how I want to live the rest of my life. You know, embracing every job that God will possibly give me, and and embracing every single one of them as God's calling on my life. Using my unique shape to do what He's called me to do, and hearing Him say to me at the end of my life, "Well done, good and faithful servant." In a letter from Paul to his mentee、um, Timothy, Paul says this. He says.、Um, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I've run my course. I did what God put me on earth to do. 
In fact, Jesus, he actually said something similar at the end of his life. In John 17, 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Here's my question for you today. What will you say at the end of your life? And that brings us into point number four. The fourth way that you can turn your job into a divine calling is to see your work as an opportunity to share your faith. You see, your workplace is a place where you show and tell others about God's love for them. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. As children of God, our life's greatest mission, our commission is to lead others to Jesus, according to the Bible. And you can lead others to Jesus by inviting them to church. You can lead others to Jesus by telling them your story. You can, you can lead others to Jesus by sharing the gospel with them. But can I tell you one way that you can share and lead others to Jesus? It's through the quality of your work. See, I once heard the story about this woman. Uh, her name was Jane. And she had asked a carpenter to come to her house and do some work. And over the course of the next several weeks, Jane was really impressed by the work that this carpenter was doing. He showed up on time every single day. He was courteous. He cared about all the details. And finally, one day, Jane decided to ask him about his work ethic and asking him why he did the things he did. And she was like, why is it that you have such strong work ethic? And do you know what he said? He said this. He said, it's because I'm Christian and I do these things to demonstrate my faith. And Jane said, I want to know more about what you believe. And so this carpenter invited Jane to a small group. And eventually, Jane gave her life to Jesus. How about you? When was the last time that someone at work asked you about your faith? You know, does the way that you work, does the work that you do demonstrate your faith in Jesus? You see, because there's something so powerful, there's something so powerful about the quality of what you do that can speak so much louder than words. That's why in the Bible it says, in 1 Thessalonians 4, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to do work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. See, what is this verse talking about? It's saying that we should make it our goal to do good quality work because when we do, we win the respect of outsiders and like believe unbelievers and cause them to want to know more about the God that you serve. You might be in a workplace where you cannot openly share your faith with other people, but you can do it in a way where you do it through the quality of your work. As people see who you are, when they see your character reflected in your work, then they will start asking you, who are you and what makes you the way that you are? Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, you might feel like your work is a place that is just spiritually dead, and it's really, really dark. Well, guess what? That's the exact reason why you're there. That's the exact reason why God put you there. Because the light always shines brightest in the darkest room. You were made to shine and to lead others to Jesus in your workplace. 
And so the next time you wonder why you're doing the job that you are doing, why you're working with the people that you're working with, know that it is your mission field, that it is the mission field that God has called you to. You're not just a boss. You're not just a student. You're not just an employee. You are a missionary in your workplace. And the quality of your work matters. The performance of your work matters. And and that in and of itself is actually a way to lead someone to Jesus. And if you're in the chat room, I want you to write, my work quality matters. And this brings us to our last point today. Last but not least, you can see your job as an opportunity to build God's kingdom. You know, the whole reason that the world exists is because God is creating a family that one day is going to live with him forever in heaven. And that is called the kingdom of God. And when you invest your time and energy in growing that family and bringing people to Jesus through your work, you are actually building God's kingdom. And this calling is actually not just for pastors and missionary, it's for each and every single one of us. I once heard the story about the CEO of Adidas, you know, Adidas, the sneaker, the shoes. One day he called his pastor and he said, I really want to meet with you to discuss some emergency, urgent matters. And this pastor was like, I have no idea what you want to talk about, but let's set up a meeting to talk about this. And so a week later, the CEO of Adidas showed up at the pastor's office and he said, I have discovered that my purpose in life is to serve God. And I want to know if you think I should leave my work and become a pastor. And the pastor sat there. He's a bit dumbfounded. And he looked at him straight in the eye. He said, no, that's got to be the dumbest thing that I've heard in a very long time. And he continued on to say, let me tell you a few ways that you can help to build the kingdom of God through your current job as a CEO of Adidas. He says, number one, he asked him, how many people on your exec team are Christians? So the CEO counted and he says, about three out of six, including himself. So the pastor said, the first ministry that you're going to start in your company is to call your two other execs who are also Christians and pray for the other three because nobody else is likely to win them as you are. And then he goes on. He goes, number two, let me ask you, how many employees do you have at Adidas? And he said, 25,000. Then his pastor says, you know, that's about the size of a mega church. That's a congregation bigger than what many pastors will ever preach to. And so you've got 25,000 employees in your congregation. You can start praying for them. You can start being available to them and start instituting good Christian values in your business. And then he goes, let me ask you another question. Would you like to influence other CEOs? And he said, of course, yes, I do. And he says, then you need to stay a CEO because you will have far more influence on them as a CEO than as a pastor or missionary than anybody else. And he says, all right, let me ask you another one. Do you want to influence culture? And he says, yes, of course I do. He says, then the pastor goes, then you got to influence the culture makers. The culture makers are the musicians, the athletes, the celebrities, and the people in the media who wear your shoes. And, do you, and, and you know, do you do 
celebrity endorsements. And he's like, well, yes, yes, of course I do. And he says, then you need to let that athlete, you need to let that celebrity know that I'm not just your endorser. I'm not just your sponsor. You're going to make a lot of money from me, but I want to be your friend. And here is my personal business card. If you ever run into a problem, just call me. And you just wait because that person is going to run into problems. Maybe it's with his finances. Maybe it's with drugs. And at that moment, he's going to call you and you're going to tell him that about Jesus. And you're going to share Jesus with them at that time. And at the end, the pastor said, so please, please do not move from where you are. God wants to build his kingdom through you and your current role as CEO of Adidas. You see, why am I sharing this story with you? It's because each and every one of us has been given a unique shape to influence the people that we work with. And there are people in the workplace who may never walk into church. You might be the only Christian who will ever, like, that they will ever encounter. And when you embrace every opportunity to share the gospel with every person that you meet at work, you're fulfilling God's calling on your life to build his kingdom. You know, so maybe before today's message, you actually really disliked your job. In fact, maybe you're thinking about quitting your job. You're thinking about, you're, you're, you've already started looking for other jobs. And maybe that job is in a company, or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, or maybe you're a student. And maybe you've always seen your job as something that you just have to do. Maybe you've even resented your work and you've complained about how much you hated. Can I give you a challenge today? You know, I challenge you to start seeing your work the way that God sees your work. To see your work as an opportunity to worship. To see your work as an opportunity to grow your character. To see your work as an opportunity to use your talents. To see your work as an opportunity to share your faith. And to see your work as an opportunity to build God's kingdom. Because when you start seeing your work the way that God sees your work, you will also step into God's greater calling for your life. And you'll step into a happier and a more fulfilled you. In fact, here at Thrive Church, our vision statement has the same five purposes that God has for our work. It's the same five purposes called A-E-I-O-U. It's that here at Thrive Church, we believe that we exist for five purposes. A stands for alive. It means that we are here to worship Jesus. E stands for expectant, and it means that we're here to grow into Christ-like disciples. I means that we're, I means involved, and it means that we're here to serve God with our talents. O means out loud, and it means that we're here to lead others to Jesus. And you means united. It means that we're here to love our spiritual family. And you see, A-E-I-O-U doesn't just define the work that we do here on Sundays at church. A-E-I-O-U is actually a way to see your entire life, including and especially your work. And when you see your work through these five, five ways that we talked about today, you're going to realize something you're going to realize that happiness is not about attaining pleasure, but it's about fulfilling your purpose. And God has a purpose for your life, including your work. And if you will keep those five purposes in mind as you work, that's you embracing your job as your calling. And you will no longer see getting called into work as an interruption or something that you have to do. Instead, you'll step into a much happier you. I'm going to give us a chance to respond today. You know, maybe some of you are here today and, and, you, and you didn't know that there was actually a purpose for your life or, the, or that there's a purpose for your work. Well, 
You know what? Today, I want to invite you, if you want to have and you want to embrace that God-given calling on your life, then I invite you to pray this prayer and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I realize that when I'm at work, you're working on me, and I want to use my job for all five purposes in my life. Please use my job as a way for me to worship you. Use my job to grow my character so I can become more like you. Use my, use my job as a way for me to honor you with my God-given talents. Use my job and the quality of my work as a way to lead others to Jesus. And use my job as a way to build and expand your kingdom. Lord, help me to be faithful with the work you've given me to succeed in my work, to be happy in my work, and, and to give you glory through my work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's give our God a big hand in this place. You know, there's a second group of people that I would like to pray for today. And it's those of you who have never received Jesus in your life. You know, maybe today was the first time that you hear that God actually created you with a purpose and that he can use you for a purpose that is so much greater than yourself and that he loves you and that he wants to give your life meaning and purpose. And if you, and, and, and you're like, I want all of that. You know, you see, the Bible says that long before we even thought about reaching for God, when our sins separated us from God, in love, God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to die on the cross for us so that our sins can be forgiven and so that we can be reconciled to God. And not only did Jesus die, He rose again three days later to show that He is who He claims to be, that is the Son of God. And if you would open up your heart to receive Jesus today, the Bible says that you are then forgiven and that you become a child of God and that you can have a relationship with God, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you would like to receive the peace, the forgiveness, the purpose, and the hope that comes from having a relationship with God, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, today I invite you to become the CEO of my life. From this day forward, I welcome you to lead my life so I can live out the calling and fulfill the purpose that you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise God. You know, if you just prayed that prayer today and invited Jesus into your life, then you have become a child of God. And what I want to invite you to do is that I want you to click on the Commit My Life to Jesus button that's showing up on your screen. Or you can also text BELIEVE to this phone number, 604-285-5770. And we would love to hear from you. Congratulations. We are so thrilled that you decided to invite Jesus into your life. Welcome to the family. And let's give our God a big hand and a big, big shout in this place today. Our worship team, and at the end, stay behind because Pastor JB is going to be leading us in a time of communion.
Your presence. 
Time. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? I was so touched by Pastor Shar's message just now, and I'm not sure it's, if it's simply because I'm married to her, but the fact is that there was just some amazing truth, some powerful truth that came out of that message that we just heard. Uh, I love that statement that, you know, happiness isn't just attaining pleasure, it's about fulfilling your purpose. And uh, there's another, uh, you know, th th that part when Pastor Shar was sharing about how, uh, you know, the same word in the Bible for work is the same word they use for worship. And and the word is the avodah, I actually tried to write notes while, while Pastor Char was sharing, and uh, it was uh, like, uh, it, I was trying to write avodah, and it kept on auto-correcting to avocado. Um, and and, I, kept on, and I, I kept on writing, I kept on writing, and it was always, it kept on auto-correcting to, uh, to avocado. Why do, why do I mention that? It's because right now we're going to do something called communion. And the fact is that uh, when we had made a ton of mistakes in our lives, Jesus did an auto-correcting work in our lives. He took our mistakes and he made it as if those mistakes never happened. How did he do that? He did that on the cross where he died for our sins, such that every sin that you and I have ever committed, what we said, what we did, what we thought, anything that hurt God's heart or fell short of God's standards, whereas we should have died for those things, God said, I'm gonna spare you because I love you, and he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, so that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering your life. You are auto-corrected by the love and the mercy and the grace of God, and that's why we were to celebrate communion right now. If you have have uh, your piece of bread right now. It's time to get that. I'm going to encourage you to take that and just break off a piece of that. And then you can take a cup and you can dip the bread into whether it's grape juice or something similar to that. And this is just a way for us to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And so for those who've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Charlene to uh, receive Jesus into your life just now. You can take this communion time with us as well. I encourage you to do so because on the night that Jesus betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, that same night after supper, he took a cup, he said, this cup is poured out for the forgiveness of many people's sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so right now, let's take this bread and let's take this cup in thankful remembrance of all that Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Let's do that together right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that when we had no way of reaching you, you reached for us when you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that because of Jesus, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we have hope for tomorrow and we have hope for eternity, that we have purpose in life, such that we know that our lives are not an accident, they're not just some random occurrence, but you made us for a greater purpose than we could ever make up ourselves. And so we thank you today. We thank you, God, for a powerful message that we could hear to show that our work is not just something we have to do. It's not just something that's a drag or a chore, but it's something that you've called us to so that we can give you glory through five 
purposes in our lives. And so we just thank you so much today for being here with us. We thank you, God, that for every single person who's going through a tough time right now, that you are writing a greater story with their lives than anything that they could write themselves. Just as you died on the cross for our sins and you rose again from the grave, we can say the best is yet to come. And so we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We give God a big hand, a big shout. Let's play together right now. Praise God. As we close off our service, those of you who call Thrive Church your home church, or you just believe in the work that God is doing here, let's give our faithful tithes, our generous offerings. Let's take great care of our church, knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, what happens? He adds everything we need. And so with that in mind, let's give our best to God right now. Thank you so much in advance for giving. Go to mythrive.info to give. That's it for us here at Thrive Church Online. Stay tuned next week for the final episode of our Happier You series. You do not want to miss it. We're going to take it back to our online hosts. Have an amazing rest of your day, everybody. Have an amazing start of the week. Praise God. The best is yet to come. Love you guys. Take care. Thank you, Pastor Shar, for the powerful message. I can't wait to apply what I learned today when I go to work tomorrow. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements. If it's your first time here, you're a VIP, so please let us know by texting you at 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you made the choice to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package that we want to mail specifically to you, as well as a series of videos that may answer some questions that you have about Jesus. So just text BELIEVE at 604-285-5770 or visit MyThrive.info. And if you'd like to get baptized, visit MyThrive.info slash baptism for more information. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was joining a small group. When I first came to Thrive Church, I loved the church, but I didn't feel like joining a small group was a necessity. Months later, I finally decided to join a small group, and boy, was I wrong. Small group is where you can encourage one another, share with one another, pray for each other, and really feel a sense of community. So if you're currently not part of a small group and would like to join one, visit mythrive.info for more information. Join us here again next week for the finale episode of the Happier You message series. Invite all your friends and family. So that's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings, and I'll see you all here next week at Thrive Church Online. 